0: This is Rumble, and I'm Michael Moore, and uh, my special guest today is Dr. Zeke Emanuel. Uh, Dr. Emanuel um, was the chair of the uh, Department of Bioethics at the National Institutes of Health from 1997 to 2011. Um, I'm sure many of you remember that he was key, instrumental in us uh, uh, getting the what is called the Obamacare uh, Act passed, uh, the Affordable Care Act um, and w- uh, was deeply involved with President Obama in trying to, uh, for really the first time, to have, have it possible that um, every American could, could be covered and not have to worry um, about going to the doctor. Um, currently, uh, Dr. Emanuel is the vice provost of uh, global initiatives at the University of Pennsylvania. And um, lately, you've probably seen him a lot on uh, TV uh, he's the uh, uh, co-host of uh, the um, Endeavor uh, uh, podcast called uh, Making the Call. He has uh, now, I, I think once a week, I think it's on Friday nights, uh, he has been on uh, either with Ali Velshi or Lawrence O'Donnell on a, a series uh, called Life During the Time of the Coronavirus. And uh, and instead of having to talk in sound bites or whatever, we get a full hour uh, as to what we're all going through. This has been so helpful. Um, Dr. Emanuel also co-edited the new book, uh, The Trillion Dollar Revolution, How the Affordable Care Act Transformed Politics, Law, and Healthcare in America. Dr. Emanuel, Zeke, welcome uh, to
1: my podcast. Great to be here. Thank you, Michael, for having me.
0: I saw you on Wolf Blitzer, actually, on the, on the MSNBC's com- competing network at the very beginning of this. Um, and I talked about this on my podcast, and Wolf asked you a question. The question everybody, I'm sure, asks you every day, how long is this going to last? When's this going to be over? You know, <laughs> we want this over with now. And I'm in day 60 of my own self-imposed uh, quarantine <laughs> in my apartment. So I want out uh, like everybody else. But when he asked you that question, I believe this is, this was maybe end of February, could have been, might've been the be- beginning of March. And you said just very Nonchalantly to him, but very direct, very with a doctor's voice, when he said, How long is this going to last? And you said, Well, I believe this could be a two year pandemic. Those were your words, a two year pandemic. Wolf, who is usually a (laughs) fairly sedate person, goes, What? (laughs) It was like, Are you kidding me? Um, And you then answered it. And I'm going to let you answer it here for the people uh, listening to this. But but I have to say, man, he went right off from you to the other person, never came back to the fact that you had just said, this could possibly last for two years. And you tried to explain that it's going to be in waves. It doesn't mean we're in prison for two years necessarily. But um, well, I just want to start there because he never came back to you. I would like you to explain, because you were the first person, as far as I was concerned, and I was watching a lot of the news channels then, who just just came out and said, the uncomfortable, inconvenient truth. And um, it turned my head around and it didn't depress me. I didn't think, oh, all hope is lost. I started thinking, oh, oh, that's okay. Now somebody has said what we're dealing with. Now we can start to figure out how to deal with it. So I turn it over to you to explain what you meant when you shocked at least me, if not the rest of everybody who was watching CNN that day, when you said this could possibly be a two-year pandemic.
1: Well, there are only two ways of getting out of a situation where you have a very infectious uh, and potentially lethal virus. One is you get enough herd immunity in the community uh, and the country so that the r naught, however many people it gets spread to, goes down below one, uh, which means that the virus basically dies out and you don't get spread of that virus. That'll require 60, 70, 80% of the population to have been immune to the virus. That's going to take time. Uh, Now we're, you know, call it two and a half months into COVID-19, maybe three months into COVID-19. And even on the best estimates, uh, we have maybe 10 million people, 12 million people in America infected. That is 3% of the population. That's far from 70, 80, 90% of the population um and so it'll take us a long time to get that kind of herd immunity the other kind of herd immunity you can get is if you have a vaccine uh and then you can distribute it to 60 70 80% of the population um and then if you play out uh how long it's going to take us to get a vaccine uh you know you're out in somewhere fall 2021 and that's as everyone who comments on this who's responsible and comments on this says if everything goes perfectly and the last time everything went perfectly perfectly in drug development, vaccine development was never, um, you know, there's never. always, mm-hmm. uh, always some hitch that comes up. Sure. Something unexpected, you know, you test it out in a few hundred people and maybe you get to a few thousand people and something unexpected happens. So if you just, you know, we have rushed it, we've, are already in humans. I, uh, um, you know, uh, so God
0: God bless them. Wow.
1: Yeah. I mean, so we're out there um, and uh, we're testing what's called phase one. That's the safety testing. Now it's what's interesting is that some of these vaccines that we've put into people already haven't even been put into animals. Um, Now that's on the hypothesis that they're very safe and they probably are very safe. Um, But then you've got to test them and you've got to give the body a chance to react and see if there are any side effects. That doesn't happen overnight. Uh, then you have to look at that data and make sure that we're protecting people. You know, see if there's anything serious comes up. Then you have to have enough to distribute uh, to people. You know, and the tests, uh, uh, the number of tests uh, needed for uh, an evaluation of whether this is effective at preventing COVID nineteen. I've you know eight to twenty thousand people. Well, that's going to take time to enroll them, and then you have to wait for them to develop antibodies and see if they're protected uh, from getting an infection from COVID. So they need to be exposed to COVID uh, and that's going to take time. Uh, So, you know, even if we ramp up production of this vaccine, not knowing whether it's going to work on the promise that it's going to work, we're still talking um, sometime in 2021 when we're going to have enough data to know whether this thing works well enough to distribute it to people okay. and has a good enough safety profile. <clears throat> now, you're yes. not gonna immediately have 300 million doses or 330 million doses for everyone in the population. Right, That's gonna take time. And I've talked to officials at like Johnson & Johnson and they think by the end of 2021, they'll have a, could have a billion doses. You have to manufacture them, you have to distribute them to, and you have to administer them into people. Uh, And again, none of that happens overnight. It all takes time, which is why I think we're talking about at the earliest. If everything goes perfectly, fall 2021, more likely, you know, early 2022. But that that's so that's the timeline. And it's very hard to compress that timeline much further than we've compressed it.
0: And that's if if everything goes right. Exactly. You said doesn't happen. So, I mean, it's, this is what, and this is why I really wanted to talk to you because I really, I know you and I know that you are a truth teller and you're, you're, you're the doctor. We all, everybody wants to have that kind of doctor. Just give me the truth. Don't sugarcoat it. Don't try to, if I cry, I cry, but I, I'm better off with knowledge than, than sending me home with hope. I don't want hope. I want to know what can I do to live. You've just given me some bad news. What am I going to do to live? And and I, I just when we talk about this vaccine, and you say like this has never happened in this kind of speed and in, in this fashion, I, I I ask where how's the vaccine for malaria coming? How's the vaccine? <laughs> how's that's what I've been working on that for what seventy years. Uh, my dad had dinghy fever in World War II. He's in the South Pacific, the Marines. How's the, how's the vaccine for that coming? How's the vaccine coming for, I mean, just go down the list. of. I think HIV, been, HIV. HIV, we don't have a vaccine. Now, we have treatment, and, and fortunately, less people have died now as a result of that, thank God. But um, we don't have a vaccine for that. We don't have a vaccine for the common cold. How many years have... <laughs> Doctors and scientists have been trying to just stop the common cold. Uh, It doesn't exist. So I just think that I don't believe in giving people false hope. I believe in realistic hope, but not promising something that we cannot absolutely guarantee. Well, not only, it doesn't have to be absolutely, but that we can reasonably guarantee that we're going to have this vaccine and everybody's waiting for this. And what I, the discussion I want to have with people is, well, what if that doesn't happen? What if this like malaria that we've never been able to come up with a vaccine for, what is, it? what are we going to do? What is the plan? And, and we need more of you and more people like you just saying things, not the things that we want to hear, I mean, I don't know what I mean, I don't maybe your wife after after you're on a a broadcast or whatever says to you, Zeke, you know, you could have tamped it down a little bit. You know,
1: (laughs) Well, look, look, I think part of the problem is uh, you have to give people uh, a structure and a planning. If it's going to be hard, they need to know it's hard. You know, I always I, I, I analogize this to sitting on an airplane. What do I want the pilot to tell me? you know, we're going to be moving in a minute and then 30 minutes later, we're not moving. No, I feel pissed off at that. On the other hand, if the pilot tells me, you know, we've got this situation, it's probably going to be 20 minutes. I'll get back to you in 20 minutes and update you with what's happening. That's what you want to hear. And that allows you to plan your life. It allows you to make clear. It allows you to make certain in the case of COVID demands on the politicians as to how to help you, how to help businesses through this. Um, and so I think that's what people really want. And this idea that, you know, hydroxychloroquine, it's going to cure it, or the summer's coming, it's just going to magically disappear. I think that's quite difficult for people because first they know it's not true, and then it's hard to figure out what is true. Um, I can't trust this person that they keep telling me stuff that doesn't seem quite right. So I, I do think that there's a value in understanding the timelines and being able to plan for all of us to plan for it. It also gives us an understanding, well, what can we do between now and then to get parts of the economy going? You know, what? how much risks are we going to be willing to take in this period of time when we don't have a vaccine, um, you know? And- most
0: of this weekend, most of the country, most, not all, but most of the country is going to be partially reopened,
1: as they put it.
0: This has got to drive you crazy on some level, right? I mean, this... <laughs> Aren't you <laughs> – I mean, the, that because it seems from what I've listened to you, what you have said is if we could turn the clock back, which we can't, but if we could turn it back, if we could pretend we're New Zealand, um, and if we immediately had done two things, um, uh, a mandatory stay at home and tell the people right away that the government is going to guarantee your paycheck for these X number of months so that we can somehow – slow this thing down. Um, it, it, we can't do that now. So what, you know, what is it that, isn't it enough? I guess it's a, maybe, I think the nervousness, the anxiety you even hear in my voice is because if Dr. Fauci and you and Barack Obama and throw in a few, Dr. Redliner, just <laughs> create your, your, your mm-hmm. you know, team of heroes or whatever. If you guys were actually running the show, If you were making the decisions, you might not always be right. You might make mistakes, but I, I think all of us would just feel better. And then we could handle the truth. If you tell us it's a two-year pandemic or it's this or that or whatever. Okay. Um, well then, then let's figure out how we're going to live and, and not, and not see our country crash, uh, not go crazy ourselves in between these four walls. Um, but we don't have that. We don't have that.
1: And I we can't agree. get it
0: till next January.
1: <laughs> I agree. And I don't think I, I think, look, uh, all the experts say we need more testing. We need more contact tracing. Those are things we need and we need to work on it. We're going at breakneck speed on a vaccine. And that's really important, too. We've got to put in place uh, uh, the kind of regulatory framework we need to get it approved and distributed and uh, produced and distributed. Um, but I do think that there are many things we can do. I mean, as you said, uh, it does drive me a little nuts that we have places opening up. Georgia is obviously the textbook example of how not to do it. Um, that, you know, the, the cases are still going up. Even the president's pandemic preparedness plan for how to open up said you got to have 14 days of decreasing uh, number of cases. I think that's too liberal a standard. But even by that standard, Georgia is wrong. And then Georgia opens up all these activities that require intimate personal contact, you know, cutting your hair, uh, going to the beauty salon, tattoos, which make no sense. They're not essential services, um, and they're things that uh, we could probably do without. Um, So you got to understand better, and we need a better plan for uh, uh, getting things started. We can start things. You know, we should understand that this is mortality is heavily concentrated in nursing homes, among the elderly, and among people with serious comorbid conditions, whether it's diabetes or hypertension or obesity. And we need to do special protections for those people. And then, you know, there are other things where we can, assuming some risks, not totally you know, this isn't going to be zero risk. Assuming some risk, we can do better at opening things up. Um, and I think that's the direction we need to begin pushing. Uh, and I, I, I just don't see that planning and that structure uh, systematically happening across all states. Instead, we get, you know, the CDC has these plans on how to, uh, uh, you know, these decision trees about how to open up the economy, and they get quashed instead of released.
0: If you were president of the United States right now and you had the powers, not not given to the governors, but the power federally to to declare when we open, reopen, partially reopen or whatever, what would you do? Or if you were not the president, what would you advise a president who would listen uh, uh, to you and not to the manufacturers of Clorox?
1: <laughs> well, you need first of all. We do need to. We uh, the testing system has gotten better, but we need to get it really well so people can get a test. Uh, uh, make sure the spit test works. Uh, ramp it up, uh, and then uh, make sure that we can test as many people as we need. Get a clear testing regime so that uh, we have people who are at the front line interacting with a lot of people, like grocery workers, healthcare workers, nursing home workers, that they're uh, uh, protected. We need to get the serology test, not, you know, we've, we've allowed 150 different serology tests out there, but only 12 of which have been certified by the FDA. That's like the Wild West. You don't know whether the serology test you got actually says whether you have an antibody or not. And so it's not very informative. It's, it's really not helpful. That's not a good process to uh, have. Is there a uh, way then- to
0: find out if, you've, if you have had it in the past? Is there a way well, to that's find it what out? these
1: serology tests are. If you uh, develop antibodies, um, the problem is that only 12 of those tests have been certified. The other, you know, and whatever, it, 138, and, they're right. not.
0: And it doesn't guarantee if you us say you test positive that you've had it, it doesn't guarantee that you have immunity or that you won't get it again or that you can't be effect-
1: infected again. Well, I would say we doesn't guarantee. We don't know. This is an area of uncertainty. We haven't done the studies to be able to evaluate that question. Most of us think you're likely to have immunity if you have the antibodies. How long it lasts is another uncertainty. Um, but that, it, yes, that still needs to be ba- validated and verified.
0: What What is the, what is, so how do you answer people? Like, would you, do, after Wolf Blitzer sort of turned away from you, after he shunned you when you said it was a two-year pandemic. I mean, you were two feet from him. What was the look on his face when you said that? I mean, I could just see it on the TV, but it being right well, there.
1: Well, was, wait, wait, when we cut to a commercial, he says, you just made news. <laughs> it's like, I wasn't trying to make news. I was trying to inform your audience.
0: No, that. You were, no, I know you said it in the way that you would say it's 72 and sunny out. Um It, it was not, You you weren't trying to shock anybody you were just he asked you an honest question you gave him an honest answer and i'm wondering now now two and a half months later is that your same answer is it a three-year pandemic possibly and what does that mean in terms of are we going to get the waves we thought we get if we all social distance correctly which now we're not going to do that as much anymore so what so what is this now is it going to be waves or is it going to be one long two-year we're in trouble sort of thing
1: Well, so there are some people, Lori Garrett is one of them, who's very, very knowledgeable about this. She thinks it's going to be 36 months and, and, you know, she may be right. That's three years. Yes. I don't know how we last three years to be perfectly honest. Um, but I think, uh, um, what are the likely scenarios? Well, one likely scenario is we have repeated waves all about the same height it comes, it goes. It comes, it goes because we open up, and and there's a reservoir of coronaviruses that resurfaces. Um, definitely a possibility. Uh, another possibility, which is actually a little more horrific, um, and, and one that we clearly want to avoid, is we uh, had a big wave here. It goes down in the summer, um, uh, maybe because of some combination of you know some decrease because of the heat and Humidity and who knows, but then it comes roaring back in the fall, and you have a second peak that is higher and worse than the first peak. Now, uh, for those of you who are sort of scratching your head, how could anything be worse than what we've had now? And uh, let me just remind you: 1918, 1919, 1920, there were four peaks to the influenza pandemic uh, at that time, and the second peak was far and away the highest, double at least doubling the first peak, um, and it came. Yes, in the following fall. Uh, So that I think is probably if you're an epidemiologist and a historian, that's what makes you really nervous that we haven't even gotten to the worst of it. The worst of it is coming this coming fall. Um, And that I think makes me very, very nervous. The third possibility is this is the worst. We're going to have echoes, as it were, of this, of ever decreasing peaks, Uh, until we get a vaccine and maybe we'll have two peaks, maybe we'll have three peaks, depending on when that vaccine gets out. Um, But they'll be decreasing and the pain will be less. I think those are the three most probable scenarios. Um, But this thing has been surprising from the start. Uh, So, um, and none of those are easy.
0: Okay. So, but <clears throat> where do you okay so where the the let's say you're you're the doctor I'm in the room with you you know i'm I've come into the examination room now now I need some bedside my beds i need your bedside care your best bedside care for me i'm I'm the American public and i have i have been locked locked in the apartment with the kids now for two months and now you're telling me it could be a lot longer uh than that now the kids aren't really getting an education um and uh and we, we who care about the people who are cleaning the streets, driving the buses, stocking the shelves, all those workers. I mean, we love the doctors and the nurses and we hate hearing that how many of them have died. It's just awful. But, but all the other workers that we wouldn't be eating, the, it, it, we wouldn't have water in our tap in the kitchen if people weren't at the utility plant. All this stuff that has to keep going. That, do you, you see where people go with this. You start to yeah. think what 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 doctor so i ask you as dr emmanuel um i don't want false hope um yeah. but i want the truth and because i think once we get the truth collectively as a society we can figure out what we need to do we know the eight, 8 weeks that were lost there with trump we'd all wish that we had those back um now what we we can't go back we can't turn the clock back and you know he was all he was all been out of shape when he found out two of his staff there um, had the virus, and and all of a sudden now all, all I what I heard on the news all the staff in the White House are going to be tested on a like daily basis, which is what all of us would like, you know, in that sense. If we had something at home where we could just swab our mouth and see that we're okay for another day, because see the thing is, after you take the test, am I right on this? If I took if I go to the the walk-in clinic down the street, I heard they had tests down there. As soon as I walk out of the, um, yes, and they find out I'm, it's you know, negative. I walk out of there though, as soon as I touch a doorknob, as soon as I walk by somebody on the street who coughs, I, I can't say two days later that I'm negative. Can I? I'm negative. No. I'm negative in that moment. Yeah. And, not, and a lot of times you don't get the results right away. You got to wait a day or two. So by that time, I have touched too many doorknobs. I have run into too many people. And it's like, what does the test even mean at that point?
1: Yeah, I think so. First of all, you're absolutely right. The test does mean at that moment you're negative and you could get it the next moment. We should also be a little clear that the data is emerging, that there seems to be a way of getting it. Um, touching a doorknob is, pro- I mean, I won't say you can't get it that way, but probably not the main way most of us uh, who might end up getting it, get it. There uh uh, being stuck in a car seems to be important. Being in the same house and interacting with people over time seems to be important. Uh, and the third thing is uh, going to a family event, a party or something where you're with other people for two, three, four hours. Um, that seems to be important. Uh, if you're outside and you're you know six feet apart from people, unlikely to get it. Just touching a counter or surface, not It's not like you can't get it there, but it's not the main way of transmission. So, transmission is sharing air with someone for a fair amount of time, like in a car. Uh, That's how this thing gets transmitted. You'll remember, uh, Michael, you know that the famous case of uh, um, uh, that new Rochelle. A lawyer who was driven by someone and that other person end up because he was driving him to the hospital or to get the test, you know, ended up getting infected. That's a likely scenario. Being with someone in your house, entertaining them in closed quarters, breathing the same air over three, four hours. That's another way of getting it. So that it's important for people to keep that in mind. But I think, Michael, can I stop
0: Clorox wiping my tangerines? Can I do (laughs) it? Do I have to? uh, I'm not. I I don't even eat the skin. Why am I Why am I Cloroxing the tangerine? Yeah,
1: I I don't do that. So I'm not sure why anyone does that. Um, I would say the following: Um, We do need to open up the economy. We need to think about how we're going to open up the economy. We need to recognize that it's not just one thing we do, right? There are different kinds of businesses, different abilities to socially distance. So if you think of restaurants, we're coming up to spring and summer. If we serve people outdoors, if tables are spaced six feet apart, if the customer actually goes up and picks their meal up off, that's a way that you could safely open restaurants. Another thing to think about is you can't get workers back to work in a serious way unless you get their kids in school. So we'd have to think about how do we open up schools? Fortunately, we're not trailblazing here. We can look at some places in Germany. Uh, uh, Denmark is another place that uh, has done it. So you can see, you know, they bring kids in in staggered times. They have them wash every hour on the hour. They have them play and eat only in certain groups so that they're not creating big mixing. They have an opt-out policy. So parents who think that's too risky opt out. Because you might have grandma living at home. You might have someone who's got diabetes or serious hypertension living at home. And if the kid got it, got COVID and brought it home, that would be a serious health threat to those people. So we need to be prepared. And you start with the youngest kids. Um, they seem both less susceptible and have less complications if they get it. And online learning sucks for them. So you got to focus Got to think about this in a strategic way and use all the information we have to open up as safely uh, as possible.
0: The Chinese, the study that was done um, after their, their large bout with it, showed that nearly 70% of those who died contracted the virus from a family member or somebody who was living in the house. Yep. And is that right? So they they started not sending people home when they tested positive but to these designated hotels or dorms or whatever, um, so that they would not infect, especially the older people who are living at home.
1: Yes, yeah, that's a, uh, that's, <laughs> it would be a good use of h- hotels that are sitting idle. And yes, we, we need to think about that. Absolutely.
0: Let, let, can I just ask you more? And we only have a few minutes left here because you have to get over to MSNBC. We're not sure <laughs> you're not going yeah. over there. They're <laughs> going to beam you there. Um, <laughs> but uh I just want to ask you maybe a more global question. And, um, and I also want to say I I spoke to you years ago when you were developing the uh, Obamacare and, and all the important work that was done with that. And maybe if you come back on another time, I'd like to, like, I'd like, I like to on my podcast, Imagine Life Post-Pandemic, so that we start to think a little bit about the vision we have for the way yeah. we want to live. And a lot of us do not want to go back to what we call the old normal. Yes, we want to go back to the, the normal where kids are in school and we can work and all that stuff. But I think we've had a lot of time to think about the way we were living. And I would love to talk to you about your new ideas about where we, where we take uh, the Affordable Care Act and how we improve it, how we expand it, how, all those things that I think uh, have to be done. Um, and I, and you're a great thinker with this sort of thing. And I'd love your input into that. So if we could do that another another time. but
1: Absolutely. But I think, Michael, the, a short answer there is I don't think coming out of COVID, people are going to put up with the patchwork system we have where 10% of the population doesn't have health insurance. I think people are like, this is a serious issue. My health depends upon someone else's being able to be healthy Um, And their willingness to get health care because it's not going to bankrupt them. We need to create a structure where this thing works for all of us. I don't think uh, Bernie Sanders Medicare for all is going to be that because I think it's just too politically fraught. But we can think about and, and, you know, Joe Biden has said about lowering the Medicare eligibility age. You could think about Medicaid for a lot of people. You could think about a structure where we take parts of Medicare called Medicare Advantage, where the private insurers run the system and people opt for that, which is now extremely popular, expanding that to everyone. Um, This is a fraught moment. A lot of people are losing their job. Therefore, they're losing their health insurance, their employer-sponsored health insurance. It's a moment where I think the public is going to demand, we've got to switch off this system. Um, Let's do a better system. We can do it better. Yeah. Yeah. Where we have a true safety net. It's not porous. Lots of people don't fall through. We don't have 10% uninsured and call that a victory. Um, So I do think that uh, uh, in the first part of the uh, 2020s, we're going to get some major change. Um, And I think this idea that, you know, Trump just came out, let's get rid of the ACA. Let's have the courts overturn it. I mean, how can you do that when we need coverage at this very moment? It's just incoherent.
0: And when you say 10%, I just want to put a number on that. 10% of Americans who don't have or are not covered. That's 30 million
1: Americans. Yeah. Yeah. And we're, we're and still at we're, 30 million.
0: Yes. And so, and so when you're not covered, what do you, when you start to feel sick, you don't go to the doctor because A, you can't afford it. Uh, you know, there's the copays, the deduct, all this stuff, but also we have 11 million Wonderful Immigrant. people yeah. who are living in this country, they don't have documents, and they are scared shitless to go to the hospital or the doctor for the fact, worried that they would be arrested and and removed. So if when they get sick and they are afraid to get and seek help because of our system that's set up against them, they are then they then not only hurt their families, the people around them, the people they love. It's it's I say this to, to like Republicans. Out of your own self-interest, okay, you don't love immigrants. I wish you were different, but you know what? Out of your own selfish interest, you want anybody who's feeling symptoms to go seek help. That's for you, to protect you. Forget about them, just protect you. You should support that. And it's just, it's, but we can have this conversation another time because I really, I think we can do this. I think we can do it better. And I think that having our health insurance tied to our job, which sounds good. And if you have a good job and you got a good union, especially you've got great benefits, but we've now learned as soon as the job ends, boom, you, you, the government may be giving you some unemployment insurance. Now they're not giving you anything for your health care. And it has caused uh, uh, such consternation. But my last question I wanted to ask you was more of a global question. And and um, I, maybe you're not qualified to answer this, but I, you must have thought about it. That it seems like this virus, which we don't know everything about yet, um, possibly happened because the habitat of certain uh, species um, has been so encroached upon. That we have altered the national or the natural world. We've done that in the first world, obviously. It's done in the third world. And, and in this case, are we ever going to have the conversation? Maybe it has to be after we're through this. I'd like to have it now. That are we, if we don't treat this planet differently, that Mother, Mother Nature um, loves us. If it senses that we are doing things to destroy Mother Nature, Mother Nature is going to put us in the timeout room, which is, I think, where, what we're in right now. But it can do far worse. I say to people, people say, oh, the Earth's going to die. No, the Earth is not going to die. The Earth will g- kill us before we kill it. And I just think that we need to have a conversation about the why of this virus and the how it it transpired, and I think it's connected to all these things we care about with our environment, with climate change, with all these things. Just just some. I haven't heard you talk much about this, but I'm just curious, as a citizen, even um, where you stand on this and what you think we need to be. If you don't have, to have the answer, just get us thinking about this. Yeah,
1: you know, uh, so I did write a piece for the Washington Post, some um, uh, about the issue that. There are particular hotspots where uh, viruses emerge, where the mixing between people, animals uh, who, that have been displaced from their habitat. China, this area of China is one of them. Uh, and it's a very important area that we've seen have, have generated a number of uh, these viruses, SARS uh, being one of them. Uh, so you're absolutely right that there is this um, change in the relationship between animals, humans, the environment that does lead to uh, the, you know, hopping, the host transfer uh, from, in this case, it appears bats to human beings. Um, And that uh, does have to do with encroaching on environment, more detailed and and prolonged interaction between people and animals, uh, where the viruses can adapt to a new host. And that new host has never seen this virus and can really, really be deadly, as we've seen. The same thing is true of Ebola. It was true of, uh, you know, that's how we got HIV. And so it's, uh, it's uh, you're absolutely right. We have to rethink our relationship with the environment if we're going to try to minimize uh, these uh, major, major uh, disasters.
0: And how do we stop this? You know, in New York City here, the hate crimes against Chinese, Chinese-Americans, in the last month or so, it's been, I mean, pretty Ridiculous. awful. Yeah. yeah. So how do you, how do you, as a scientist, as a doctor, um, explain to people that this is not the Chinese people you need to worry about? As I say, you need to worry about somebody who doesn't do anything for eight weeks when they're in charge.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think that, that is, you know, prejudice and it's not, uh, it's stigma. It's not very helpful to, keeping us safe and it's certainly not representative of how this virus started and how it spread.
0: Well, I look forward to talking to you again. Um thank you for coming on. Um and thank you uh for the work you've done all those years um at the at the NIH it was four, 15 16 years something like that. Um it's Thank you. Uh, we appreciate your service to this country. Keep telling the truth. We need it. I don't mind if it's bad because it's it's, I can deal with it. And a lot of us can deal with it. The American public doesn't want to be treated like babies. We are adults. And together, we've done this before in our past. We have made this a better country. We've come out of huge adversity. We can do it again. But we need people like you leading the way, telling us the truth. Keep doing that. Thank you. Thank Zek- you. Thank you. Take care. Dr. Zika Emanuel, um, whose uh, podcast is uh, making the call. And uh, also on MSNBC on uh, Friday nights. 10 p.m. Eastern and Pacific, uh, where he gets uh, right into it. You get a full hour of this, and um, I encourage people to listen to it, and also your book. Um, Thank you very much, and uh, thank everybody who listened to this podcast. I know there will be a lot of comments. I'll pass them on to you, and uh, we'll we'll talk again soon.
1: Thank you, Mike. Take care. Thank you, Zeke.
0: Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Rumble with Michael Moore. Um, I happen to be Michael Moore, um, and I'm grateful uh, to all of you for participating. Don't forget to watch our film. I'm the executive producer of it, a film by Jeff Gibbs, called Planet of the Humans. It is still for free on my YouTube channel. Just go to the Michael Moore YouTube channel. Uh, It's just 98 minutes long, and and you will see some truths that you are not and have not been told. Um, And we present them not to... Not to just scare the shit out of you, but to say, look, we are all good people. Everybody in this movement is good and has good intentions. We need to come together and think about whether or not we're on the right track. If you just dig in and say, yes, it's the right track, and, and you don't do anything, you just stay there, what if you're wrong? At least if you've had a discussion and you consider multiple tracks that we might be on to save ourselves, this planet, this species then maybe you have a better chance. Why would you take the risk of only one track? Who puts their eggs all in one basket? That's what we've been doing. That's got to stop. That's got to stop. And and um, to the young people who are listening, bless you. Thank you for yelling at us. Yell more. Civil disobedience. Make your voices heard. I'll stand with you every inch of the way. And I know a lot of people listening to this podcast will too. Leave me your comments here on the uh, podcast page. Uh, 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 Send me a voicemail. You can actually send me a voicemail. I listen to all of them. And you do that, I think, on the Anchor uh, platform. Um, And uh, I love hearing from people. It helps me to think about things. And uh, you will hear from me um, very, very soon here. So until then... um, Be well, be good to each other, don't despair, and wash your hands, please. Okay. All right. Love you all. Take care. Talk soon.